Hi, my name is Jeremy Wagstaff, and this is the Loose Wire podcast. Thanks for taking the time to download this pod. It's available from all good podcast outlets. Some of you have been following me since 2003 or 2004, for which I'm extremely grateful. Slightly embarrassed about the long absences. I promise they won't happen anymore, though I've said that before. I'm calling this season 10 because it's a nice round number and I'm committing myself to delivering an audio version of my weekly newsletter or blog, along with some bits and pieces if they're considered pod-worthy. Do please write to me if you've got anything to say. I can handle the criticisms. I can be reached at jeremy at wagstaff.co. Jeremy at wagstaff.co. Or you can check out the blog at loosewireblog.com. Yes, I'm the same Jeremy Wagstaff and Loose Wire from the Wall Street Journal column, which went to a better place 12 years ago now. I'm also the guy on the BBC World Service Business Daily and the Reuters correspondent of old and less old. I'm currently a writer and a consultant based in Singapore. My consulting business is called Cleft Stick, but you'll have to visit the website cleftstick.com to find out why. I'm with the show. This one is called The Digitally Ass Backwards Age. Ass as in ass, not as in mule. Um, just adopting the Americanism here because it would sound weird if I said the digitally ass backwards age, although actually on reflection it possibly does sound slightly better. Um, but spoken, I'll call it the digitally ass backwards age, if you like. So we're living in a digitally ass backwards age where everything you do of monetary value is retained amazingly easy to recover and commercially mined at mind-boggling speed. But everything else, photos, an SMS, an email you sent to someone last week, the deed to your house, is lost in the muddle of that drive an inch or two from your fingertips. I was given to pondering this when I saw a tweet from Mike Bird where he wrote, It's amazing that people ever said that the problem with the internet was that any personal information would be online forever. Even decade-old pages are an ocean of dead links and non-functional features, he wrote. If you wrote stuff on sliced cheese, it would last longer. He has a point. This paradox is an interesting one, but perhaps the best illustration of that paradox is this. I have a vast database of stuff I've collected over the years, okay, decades, from the internet. But although I use the best tools out there to index that stuff, it's still much easier to search for those documents on the internet via Google. Basically, I'm searching for stuff that's still out there rather than stuff on my hard drive, all that stuff I've carefully collected. Easier as in faster and more thorough, more documents, newer versions. It wasn't always so, though. I'm one of those people that remembers when there was something called Google Desktop. You won't find this anymore. But Google Desktop was this great tool which searched your computer for you while it also searched the internet. This was during the wonder years of 2004 through to about 2008, when I had a column at the Wall Street Journal and when software was good with a capital G in both senses of the word. And the idea of indexing your hard drive and making things easy to find seemed like a worthy cause instead of a commercial one. Some of you may recall Enfish and some other efforts in this field, which I suspect Google Desktop killed off 
before it took its own life, probably having completed its mission. For a heavenly few years, the two were united. What you had in your computer and what was online were one and the same. But Mammon won, because the simple calculation was, there is no commercial value on your hard drive, because privacy prevents Google and the others from mining that data or learning intent from your searches of that data. So why would they waste money on that? Once Google had won the search engine wars in the 2000s, which was what the Google desktop war was all about, Microsoft being their main competitor at the time, there was simply no commercial imperative in continuing to support Google Desktop. Besides, by then, we had been persuaded to move most of our email onto the web, so why would we want to be searching our hard drives anyway? There really is no market for what I foolishly once believed was the future of the browser. To me then, and now, I still can't quite figure out why you would not search the web and search your own computer at the same time. So, in short, search is only valuable to the provider of that search if it is to look for things of commercial value and things we have not yet purchased and things we might intend to purchase and have the means of purchasing. It's not hard when you look at it that way to see how things have skewed in the past 20 years from a paradigm of your computer. It will be where you will create and save all your memories, your documents, your house plans, your photos, all in one place forever, to your devices. You can consume anything you like, whenever you like, instantly. Forget about the future. Live for now. Okay, that's obvious for the order now from the gig economy world we live in at the moment. But it started long ago. It started with iTunes and continued with things like Kindle, those digital books you bought. You don't own them. You bought a license. You die. That book reverts to Amazon. You might be able to save those items somewhere, but you can't really do anything to them as if they were yours. You can't pass them on to someone else. You can't search them outside the Kindle app. They are imprisoned. They belong to Amazon. And yes, it's true that your photos are saved from your camera relatively seamlessly to other devices, except it's less than obvious how, evidenced by all the hours you spend trying to find a photo from that birthday party 10 years ago that should have been saved to a computer but doesn't seem to have been because that computer was upgraded a few years ago and doesn't seem to have been moved across. Or that WhatsApp message that was on an, on an old phone or an email that was on an old account which you ditched when they started charging outrageous fees for attachments or automatic online and time machine backups, which all go smoothly for years until you actually need to restore something, in which case the one file you need is missing. And did you know that hard drives actually only last five years, tops? Assuming you've been using hard drives to back up your treasured memories for 15 years, 20 in mine, that means you should have replaced those hard drives at least twice. Have you? In short, even if you've been doing everything right, you've been doing it wrong. 
Our digital world is built to be commercially optimized for speed, not for ensuring our memories, our records, our heirlooms, and to make sure they belong to us and are safe. That is not to say companies like Apple don't try to sell us the whole shebang and make us feel that by selling us computer plus services plus software, that we're still in that 20-year-old paradigm of your own computer where only good things happen. But in fact, it's better to think of it as a big shopping cart. Few of the things you do with it actually create or produce. And while Apple does offer some tools to help you move stuff from one old device to a new one, the emphasis is not on safeguarding your digital heritage as much as persuading you to keep subscribing to their digital services to expand your plot in their walled garden. Now, you could argue, I suppose, that Facebook has taken a different approach, building a business on digital longevity, lovingly creating a website that thrives on us, tending to our shared memories. And perhaps there's some truth in that. But let's explore that for a moment. Can I easily search my memories for something on Facebook? Sort of. I suppose if I organise things correctly, I could find a birthday party album. But the search bar on the timeline on Facebook doesn't seem to work. I tried it. And the best way to navigate seems to be by year. That is a tedious option. Overall, the past in Facebook world seems to be something for the company's algorithms to dish up occasionally rather than a place for us to explore. Like Google, Facebook presumably has less interest in it because it's not reflective of our present or upcoming needs and desires which can be commercialised. It's time for us to apply some pressure on the commercial world to stop thinking like this. We have given so much of our lives and data to these vast harvesting machines, it's time to wrest some of it back. And not just to demand the data, but to demand it in the format that we left it in. For example, you can now download your data from Facebook and Google, but this is all, intentionally in my view, in such a mess that it would take a year to put it in some order. It is absurd, in my opinion, that the tools to curate our footprint online are impressive. In Facebook, for example, I can create an album called Mum to remember my mother, where the photos are dated, geotagged and name-tagged, where they are displayed as thumbnails and where I can choose who can view them and where those people can comment. These are all assumed as basic features. Now, if I want to download that album to my computer, how do I do that? It took me a minute, not too bad, considering to figure out that, arguably, my best option was to download all my photos. This, of course, may take some time. So while that was going on, I decided to right-click and download the photos individually. Now, to be fair, this is not as hard as it could be. In Safari, right-click on the image, download as image to the default folder. The problem is that all that richness and effort I put into those photos is lost. The file names now are meaningless. The metadata is gone, the geotagging, the people tags, the comments, the albums. All that curating work that I did on Facebook is for naught. It's a stark reminder that the tagline about Facebook caring about you and your memories is a flagon of balderdash. 
Perhaps this COVID-19 year, and some of next, no doubt, will not be such a waste. We will realise the devices in front of us are not just oversized credit card swiping machines or pocket-sized cinemas, but actual treasure chests for organising and storing our heritage, our heirlooms, things that we can create and pass on. But first we need to reclaim them. This needn't be a zero-sum game. The walled garden machines can help us do it and expand their business models to include better, more resilient home networks that include resilient storage, tagging and search. For now, start thinking. All this digital gardening you're doing, who is it for? And will it leave a trace for anyone but those hordes of digital marketers? That's all for this week. This is the Loose Wire podcast and I'm Jeremy Wagstaff. Thanks for downloading and listening. You can find the blog and written versions of these podcasts with charts and stuff at loosewireblog.com and the podcast on all the major podding platforms. Please do leave a review, a star or whatever they ask for because it really helps. Talk to you next week. <laughs>